Hi, welcome to the Quipster Film Review Podcast. My name is Vince Leo. I am the author of the film review website, Quipster.net. I invite you to check out over 4,000 of my written reviews. You can read there anytime. Quipster.net is where to go. Q-W-I-P-S-T-E-R.net. While you're there, I do encourage you to check out the link to my other podcast. It's called Around the World in 80s Movies, and I invite you to check that out at my website. You can find the link at Quipster.net. As you can tell, I am a little bit under the weather, so my voice is a little deeper. Maybe that's going to be a little bit easier for you to hear, but I will plow through this. It is that time of season for people to get colds, and I certainly did catch one. Today, I'm going to be looking at a pretty big film for the year. It's Star Wars Episode Nine: The Rise of Skywalker. Now, Star Wars, of course, just like the others in this particular sequel trilogy, is PG-13. It does have science fiction, violence, and action. The runtime is 2 hours and 21 minutes. This brings back Daisy Ridley, Adam Driver, John Boyega, Oscar Isaac. Carrie Fisher is in this film as well. Anthony Daniels, Junas Wotamo, and some surprises. Ian McDermott, Billy Dee Williams, and some newcomers like Naomi Aki, Carrie Russell, and a few others in this film. J.J. Abrams returns as director, and he also co-writes the screenplay with Chris Terrio. Now, The Rise of Skywalker... I. If I have to describe it, I would say it's a little bit like the final season of Game of Thrones in a certain way, because a lot of the complaints for Game of Thrones kind of apply to this last entry in the Star Wars sequels. It's restlessly trying to tie up all of the loose ends that it had throughout the course of the rest of the franchise and trying to sum it up in a finale without allowing for the proper time for story or character elements to sink in for the viewers who have come to know and love. Now, after eight prior movies with characters that many grew up really cherishing, I mean, it's been 42 years here since the first Star Wars film, this is kind of a shame that the last hurrahs for some of these characters end up getting sidelined in order to go through a cavalcade of fairly convoluted plot points to try to get each of these characters where they need to be by the end of the film. Now, it really didn't need to be this way. I mean, if you take the runtime, two hours and 21 minutes, I suppose you could, since it's the last time we're going to be seeing most of these characters, beef it up to three hours, kind of like Marvel did for Avengers Endgame. But you also have here a handful of characters that are introduced in this final chapter. They did not need showcasing here. You have Carrie Russell's Zoe Bliss, Naomi Aki's Janna, Richard E. Grant's General Pride, and this new cute droid, as if BB-8 was not enough, his name is Dio. They seem to be here either, I guess, to sell new toys or maybe to establish the possibility for spin-offs, whether it's on TV or maybe future movies. You know, these characters get entirely too much screen time for this film that has to put to rest at least a dozen different character arcs by the end, and not to mention the main plot of the film. Now, The Rise of Skywalker takes place considerable time after the events of The Last Jedi. Rey has been in training with General Leia on how to be this elite Jedi that somehow is better than every Jedi that's ever existed. She ends up abruptly leaving so that she and her merry gang of resistance fighters can hop around the galaxy. And they're looking for this Wayfinder crystal that's the key to finding a planet called Exegol. That's supposed to be where the Sith reside. And the Siths are now, again led by the return of Emperor Palpatine, who is somehow still alive. I'm still kind of curious as to how that really happened. 
obstacles are abounding here. The first order leader, Kylo Ren, is probably the primary one among them. Ren is ostensibly seeking to help Palpatine return to power, trying to get his hands on the Wayfinder for himself and to put an end to Rey, possibly to join forces with Palpatine to enact this final order to bring the galaxy to its knees. Now, J.J. Abram did not intend to return here to end this franchise. The third film was slotted for Colin Trevorrow as the director. You know, it was announced before the release of The Force Awakens. However, there were creative differences that came into play once Trevorrow and his writing partner turned in their script for this uncredited polish by Jack Thorne, at which point the creative differences emerged between the director and Disney studio execs as far as what they were going to do in that third film. Now, a week after announcing Trevorrow would no longer be working on the picture in 2017, Disney announced the hiring of J.J. Abrams to end their trilogy that he started back in 2015 along with co-writer Chris Terrio. Now, the screenplay here feels like they've run through a checklist of all of the goods that they feel obligated to deliver between the opening and the closing credits. You have questions that end up finding answers. You have characters that get chances to do all manner of heroic things. And there are suitable endings doled out to one and all of these characters. J.J. Abrams has to also try to fix some of the the outside-the-bounds tinkering that series fans vehemently protested when they watched Ryan Johnson's The Last Jedi. Johnson's middle chapter tampered on some holy ground, including giving Luke Skywalker an ending to his saga that few cared to see. J.J. Abrams has his hands full here, really, in concluding this trilogy that he set up deftly with The Force Awakens, because the middle entry killed off the biggest bad guy that they had, and also killed off one of the biggest heroic figures and a mentor that most fans had been really clamoring to see in this trilogy. To fill the void of Snoke, Palpatine gets resurrected to fill those shoes instantly. And Leia, I guess she would have to do some mentor work for the greatest Jedi in the galaxy with Luke being suddenly unavailable. This all makes it kind of a two-hour relic quest, and that leads to a badass boss battle. That's kind of a mechanical way to tell a story. It's very much plugged into a formula. If we didn't already have an investment in these characters, it would probably conclude for many viewers without any emotional payoff at all. You can kind of blame the incendiary reaction to The Last Jedi. I mean, I mean, people were and, and continue to be very adamant about The Last Jedi being a really terrible Star Wars film, kind of ruining any chances for this unexpected finale here because, you know, Disney does not want to bite the hand that feeds them. And they know that fans do not want to see a corporation buy rights to their favorite property only to have them subvert everything that they grew up enjoying. And as such, J.J. Abrams and Chris Terrio are not trying to make a great film here. They're really trying to make one that very few fans are going to go to social media expressing hatred toward for ruining their childhood. Now, besides overplotting the story at a time when it should be really winding down, there are some individual moments where the film does shine, you know, enough here to make it a worthwhile entry for many fans. You have this cool space chase that begins the movie. We watch the Millennium Falcon engage in a chain of warp jumps to try to elude some tenacious TIE fighters that are in hot pursuit. There are a few lightsaber duels. They're very well choreographed and do dazzle the eye. They're really exciting to watch from a cinematic standpoint, although I do think that the overall stakes of each of these battles remains pretty murky because it doesn't adequately have time to set up for them. We do finally get the answer as to who Rey is and her lineage, and 
Daisy Ridley here, I think, giving her best performance in the series as we get those answers. If emotions do arise within this final entry at all, I think it's because of her intensity in that role. It kind of seems ironic, though, that this quest to answer all of the questions leads to raising a few more that don't get answered. I mean, we see Finn here. He seems to have something to tell Rey, but whatever that secret is lies unrevealed through the course of the on-screen story. More important issues and questions arise. A real reason why Palpatine still exists beyond some sort of black magic Sith stuff. Uh, I don't know exactly the answer there. I'm sure people who know Star Wars lore probably have a reason or at least found a reason somewhere in the wrinkles here. But the question I have is, should we assume that somebody like Palpatine can ever be genuinely vanquished? Or is he going to be brought out of mothballs every time there's a Star Wars franchise that's in trouble to put up a formidable villain for the end. Now, despite the intention for Carrie Fisher to appear in all three films in the new trilogy arc, she did pass away in December of 2016. Disney did announce at that time that The Last Jedi would be her last Star Wars appearance, but they changed that some time later when J.J. Abrams ended up taking over the direction and the story development. And so then they announced in 2018 that Fisher would make a significant supporting appearance in the final installment, and it would not be a CG character. They had enough unused footage that they would repurpose from The Force Awakens and they would try to work that into The Rise of Skywalker so that it makes some sort of sense. In addition to Carrie Fisher here, The Rise of Skywalker does bring back Billy D. Williams as Lando Calrissian, and it really ups the stakes with that final boss fight with Ian McDermott returning to the cowl and the grimace of Emperor Palpatine. So, very much a fan service film in that way. Abrams, when he did The Force Awakens, it rode primarily on fan service, so it's no surprise that he ends it here with that same material, bringing back those old friends and those old enemies for one final curtain call before they bow off the stage forever. And so in those ways, I guess it's too much of a good thing. It crams in much more than one film's worth of story to try to spin this yarn that gives us very few moments that end up really resonating. Unfortunately, I think tradition here dictates that these sagas have to be trilogies, so Disney, spending $4 billion for this property, have to satisfy as many fans as possible from not abandoning their interest in these new movies and this merchandise that they want to sell. It's kind of a soul-sucking way of telling stories, I think, though. Still, I do think fans seem to not want it any other way. They're not going to let filmmakers take risks in order to tinker with these established formulas or to suffer ridicule at every turn when they get lambasted in social media groups and in internet forums for doing something out of bounds. The only way I think to keep the franchise from dying here is to preserve it in a perpetual state of its adolescence. So the end of the saga should probably fill us with some sense of sadness of closing the chapter to friends for the last time. Return of the Jedi, I think it's the lesser film in its original trilogy, but it still delivered the right feels for the fans with that chapter, enough to cherish it beyond its many weaknesses, because we assume that that would be the last time that we see these characters, and this would be their last hurrah. That sense of finality seems to get completely glossed over with The Rise of Skywalker. It trades in melancholy for perpetual exhilaration and a lot of distractions from letting such weight sink in for the viewer. And in this way, I think the film ceases to satisfy longtime fans, even if the results end up being satisfactory. So for all of that, the best I can give this series to end all series 
three stars out of four. I'm a longtime Star Wars fan, so that is a bit of a disappointment that three stars is the best I can give them because it's kind of a mess at this point. J.J. Abrams had the unenviable task of bringing all those threads together and trying to end them, and The Last Jedi considered a huge misstep for Disney that they wanted to overcome, so to try to fix that and to try to set all of the things in motion to deliver a satisfying ending, like I said, the best they could do is deliver a satisfactory ending, and for that, that's why a three-star film results. Thanks, everyone, for listening. I hope that you enjoyed this review. I'm sure there are going to be a wide range of reactions to this film among fans, certainly. So if you have your own thoughts, you can write to me. You can find my contact information at my website. That's at quipster.net, Q-W-I-P-S-T-E-R.net. While you're there, I do encourage you to check out links to my Twitter feed, Facebook page, Instagram. You can even just email me. You can find all of that at my site. Until next time, thanks, everyone, for listening. And please, may the force be with you.